Well, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bethesda. I'm so glad you invited us, uh, Pastors Leslie and Ben. Thank you for sharing Pastor Appreciation Sunday with us. I know that that was, you know, this is your Sunday, and, and you're sharing it with us because I think that's just kind of the fabric and the character of who you guys are. So am, I, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I right? They seem to be really missions-focused, and I want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you, too, to Sean and Lori. <laughs> We destroyed their house this weekend, officially. <laughs> no, literally, we did. God bless my daughter who's not in here, but don't, don't ask her. She's a little tender about it, but we pretty much destroyed their house this weekend. Um, so the, but they were incredibly gracious. You have raised up a missions-minded people, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm grateful to be here today with, with Bethany and Caleb, and you guys are just phenomenal. And I've loved you ever since I've met you, and I'm grateful for you too and for what you're doing. Thank you so much for going abroad and doing that. Pastor sent me last night a, a passage of scripture that you guys have been going through, and so I'm going to start with that, and then we're just going to jump off of it. But honestly, the Lord just kind of wrecked me this morning, and so all my pretty little sermons just kind of flew out the window, and he said, I want you to tell them something else, so I'm just going to be obedient, so you're just going to have to roll with it. I'm praying that you guys are pretty flexible, so. And hey, and last night was awesome. We are grateful. Father God, I am grateful for family. I'm grateful for family this morning that that's, they're your sons and daughters, and I'm a son and a daughter. Well, Britt's a son, and I'm a daughter. And you welcome us into your family, and then you introduce us to brothers and sisters who are all over the country and all over the world. And it's like coming home, and it's so nice, and it just fills me up. And Lord, it was so good to just be able to laugh and eat and fellowship. And, and I know that that's how kind of the Acts Church started out by just eating and hanging out together and sharing the gospel together and building each other up and then going and sharing the gospel outside. And so, Lord, I, I know that this is, that was about as close as I've ever come to that. And I'm grateful for it. It just filled me up, Lord. But this morning, I'm, I'm not here to share just about that. God, I know that you've got something specific you want to say to this church. I pray that you'd help me. Give me the strength to say what only you want me to say. Lord, I bow before you and I empty myself out. And I say that I'm just, I'm a, I'm a, messed up jar of clay but if you can pour stuff into me I'll pour it out as much as I can to the best of my ability I pray Holy Spirit that your presence would just be welcome here this morning and that we would honor you and glorify you with everything that we say and everything that we do I just love you so much and I pray I, I honor you today with my life in Jesus name Amen so your pastor sent me a, a scripture that you guys are doing. You're doing Mission Aries today. Is that correct? Does this sound familiar for those of you who've been here before? Mission Aries. So the verse he sent me was, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think what stuck out to me in that, that passage of Scripture is that God's will, we always ask, well, what is God's will? What's God's will for my life? Has anybody ever asked Jesus, like, what am I here for? What's your will for my life? Anybody? Am I the only one? 
okay? Like I go, God, what is your will? What is your will? What is your will? And he, he just says, just as clear as a bell, it's my will that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. Okay, so let me put this, this in, in my fancy way of saying it. It's not just me. It's everybody I meet. God's will is that every person on this planet should not die and go to hell. It's not his will that they go to hell. It's not his will that they be hurt and bruised and abused and, and all that thing. That's not God's will. God's will is that nobody would perish, but that every single person you meet would have everlasting life. Was that true of Mussolini? Yeah. He didn't want him to perish. He wanted him to come to everlasting life. And Hitler and every ugly, we, we were told to dress like our people group today. <laughs> so I dressed like my people group. <laughs> this is my people group. Um, but God doesn't want that any of them should perish. None of them. And I know it's, I know that they do bad things. I remember one time I had to do communion service. And I'm just being honest with y'all. I mean, this is a safe place, right, to be honest with you. And I was serving um, communion to a girl who I know she had repented and she had asked God to forgive her for what she had done. But I'm telling you, what she had done was so heinous, she had held down a little boy while her husband had molested him. And while that child was repeatedly molested and abused, she didn't say a word. And she helped. And I had to serve communion to her. And I'm not going to lie to you, I struggled. I said, Lord, this person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. This person does not deserve. This person did something to a child. This person deserves to go to hell and burn. And he goes, you are not God. And it is not my will that anyone would perish. And who I have set free is free indeed. And who I have cleansed and made whole and white is cleansed and made whole and is white and is forgiven. And you are not God. Thank God I'm not God. People do horrible things. People make mistakes. People should pay for mistakes that they've made. But when they, they are forgiven by God, who are we to stand up in judgment against them? Um... I started thinking about that. I started thinking about the will of God. And the Lord took me over to Romans. And he said, uh, I want you to read this. For, scarce, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were we good people? Who's, by whose measuring stick were we good people? Not by God's. I wasn't a good person. Now, I had never done drugs. I'd never done alcohol. I'd made a whole bunch of really good decisions. I had climbed up and gone to college and, and married 
a sweet man and had three babies and did it all the right way according to the gospel, right? Did it the right way, made the right choices. Five stars beside my name. I'm just as wicked and dirty and evil because I was so full of pride, arrogance, judgment. And it's just as black. And the thing I realized when I started going to the jail and teaching a class is that we're all addicted to something. And most of the time, before we get saved, it's not Jesus Christ. We're not saved because we're good people. It's just the people I serve, their addictions land them in jail. Now, I've seen a lot of really smart people who have great jobs who are going to bust hell wide open. And I've seen a lot of people who have abused and molested little children who are going to be in heaven with the thief that hung next to Jesus on the cross. It's not by our judgment or our measuring stick that people get in or don't get into heaven. And unforgiveness and bitterness can keep you out of heaven just the same as opiates. I'm sorry, is that too mean? So anyways, so we work with the worst of the worst. We work with bad people. But you know what? You saw that little girl up there. When she was 12 years old, she was crying. When she was 12 years old, she was molested by her daddy's buddies. And when she went to her daddy's, her daddy and said, Daddy, your buddies did this to me, he said, well, then you have no value to me anymore, and he tried to kill her. And so she went to her mother, and her mother gave her drugs to make her feel better. And her and her mother did drugs together until her mom died. And when her mom died, her drug addiction went from little drugs to big drugs. She graduated into her mama's drugs. And then from there, she landed herself. She was abused a bunch and had three kids and then ended up in jail. And now her kids are gone and her life is over and she's been labeled and she's been living in an abandoned building. That's what she does. Now, I sit and I think about the situation and I was talking to your pastors and I said, is it like that up here? Do you guys deal with opiates? Do you deal with drugs? Do you deal with meth and do you deal with abuse and is that just, does it stop at the state line? Do you guys know folks like that who've struggled? Who started out, maybe they just had a back surgery and then they got hooked. Do you know folks like that? They were good people and then they just slipped and went down. And then all they think about is drugs and their addiction, right? And there, but for the grace of God, we can't say that we're not going to have a back surgery one day. You know? So I'm just saying I work with those people and I try and tell them not about me as Jesus, but as the real Jesus, who while they were still sinners, he provided a way for them to get better. And I tell them about a thing called provenient grace. Do you guys know what that is? Provenient grace is the most beautiful thing ever. 
I had girls, and they sit there, and they cry, and they tell me that they haven't heard from Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer their prayers. Jesus doesn't hear. Jesus doesn't listen. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus doesn't do that. Because if he did, look where I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be struggling. My kids wouldn't be being abused, blah, blah, blah. And I go, do you understand that before we even met, I was on a totally different course in my life, and the Lord brought me here tonight from the world I was living in that was safe and secure. I didn't need to be here tonight, but he, he changed the entire course of my life and broke me down in order to come here and tell you that there are churches all over the country who are willing to support us so that we can build you a home before you even knew you were going to screw up. God provided grace before you even knew you had a problem. He was providing a home for you before you were homeless. He was providing a way for you before you had lost it. He was coming to get you before you even knew you were gone. He made a way 2,000 years ago to forgive you of the sin you hadn't committed yet. That's our God, and that's provenient grace. So I tell them about that all the time, and this is, this is where I come, this is why I come to Kentucky, okay? You want to know why I'm in Kentucky. A bazillion years ago, <laughs> when I first started pastoring, I remember I was getting to do my first sermon ever, and I'm going to tell you, this is, I'm telling on myself, I got to do my very first sermon ever. It was terrible. It was awful. It was embarrassing, and I'm going to tell you about it. So... I was like, I was trying to show off and be fancy, and I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to teach about, like, New Testament stuff that's super easy. I'm going to be a scholar. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be somebody. So I was like, I picked the book of Nehemiah. I was like, let's do that. I'll show them. Let's do this. So I got all fancy and on my high horse, and I was, like, looking up every word in Hebrew. I even said that I was looking it up in Greek because I didn't know what I was talking about because the Old Testament isn't written in Greek. It's written in Hebrew. But don't, don't tell me, old me that because she thought she was something. So I was walking around, and I was tough stuff, man. I was looking it up. I studied it for 60 hours I wrote that sermon. I fasted. I prayed. I laid in the floor on my face before God, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I got up that day, and I was sharing the sermon, and everybody stood there, and they just looked at me like, oh, who do you think you are? Like, they just looked at me like, I don't even know what she's talking about. That's crazy. That woman has lost her darn mind, and I was like, I had. I had. I was so, so arrogant. I got to be. I just I'm going to be honest. And so I was telling the whole story of Nehemiah, and I get to the end, and you get to the grand finale, and everybody's supposed to get saved, right? Because that's what, you're in a church, but everybody's going to get saved. And I was like, well, everybody's going to get saved. And I'm telling you, I was like, okay, if you just need to come back to Jesus, you just need to raise your hand, just raise it high to heaven. And I went to the uncomfortable place of waiting that long. Like, I was like, no, seriously, y'all, you just need to raise your hand. And just, no, I'll just wait. I'll wait here, I'm sure. It's like a Wednesday night, so everybody that's there is in the choir. You know, they can preach better than me. And I was like, I was like, just, just get resaved. You can get I'm waiting for the pastor to get resaved because it was that good of a sermon. I'm just saying. <laughs> the pastor needed to get resaved. So, and I think I was the only one in the room that needed to get resaved that day. <laughs> but I got home and I was like, Nobody responded, and nobody raised their hand, and nobody even, it was like crickets. 
I could barely get to the car without being like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm good. And so, like, I got home, and I laid in the floor like, I'll never preach again. It's over. I'm so done. And I laid there, and I wallowed in self-pity, and, you know, and, and the Lord was like, you dumb dumb. Like, years later, he goes, that sermon was not for them. That sermon was for you. And as I was walked in here today, I went, oh. And he goes, that, this is the place where you're going to share that sermon. And I know I have, like, very short amount of time, so I'm going to give you the Appalachian Standard Version. And here's how the story goes. There's a man, and he's nobody famous, and he's nothing special, right? He's a cupbearer. Cupbearers are not super famous. They're servants. They had been captured. He wasn't anybody fancy or special or nothing. He was just an just a, an ordinary guy. He was actually kind of a slave. And he comes in, and he's serving. And, and as he's serving the king, his buddies come up to him, and they go, have you heard about Jerusalem, what happened to it? It's been burned to the ground. It's been totally leveled. It's been charred. It's been smoked. It's gone, and there's nothing left. And he hears about his hometown, and he sits down on the ground, and he just weeps, and he cries, and he fasts, and he prays. And he's like, Lord, Forgive me. I messed up. This is the deal. I had for so long heard about how my homeland, my homeland of Appalachia, had been broken into by drugs and alcohol and abuse, and I had seen it, and I had, I had heard people talking about children, and I'd heard about this, and I'd heard about the opiate problem, and I'd heard about all the enemies that had come in and burned the, the, our homeland down to the ground. But I'm thinking, who am I? I'm just a stay-at-home mom of three kids. I can't do anything about this. But it broke my heart to see these kids like that just tore all to pieces. There's no walls around them. It's burned to the ground. Our homeland has been attacked and destroyed, and our people are being carried off like slaves to drug addictions and abuse and poverty. It's true. You hear it on the news every night. Am I wrong? Is it not like that here? Has that not come in and destroyed our, our counties and destroying our children and taken us away into slavery to it? Well, yeah. That's what's happened. And I hear about it. And for so long, I was fine. I was working in the house of the king. I was, just, I was just doing my job, making good choices, doing my job, doing it well, making, making the right choice. But there came a day when I had to sit down and I had to say, I've been, I have Jesus inside of me, and I've been sitting on a church pew. I've been serving the king, but I haven't been doing anything about my land that's been broke into and everybody taken away as slaves. I've done nothing. And I just sit down and I weep and I cry and I begin to fast and I begin to say, Lord, it's, it's on me. It's on me. I'm corrupt. I'm a sinner. I haven't done anything about this. I have done nothing but do my job and put my head down and put my blinders on and worry about my four and no more, you know? They're taken care of. I can put my babies to bed at night, and I don't worry about it. I don't have a little girl who's trying to turn her doorknob around to keep the men out at night. But there are. They're there. 
and I've done nothing but hang out in the courts of the king. And you get, and you read on in the story, and he goes and he begins to survey it. So I went like he did, and I started hanging out in the jails, and I began to survey what the walls actually look like. And it's not pretty. And there's corruption and darkness like I've never seen in my life. I, had, I knew it was black, but I didn't know how black it was. I didn't know how burned it was. I didn't know how broke down it really was. I had no idea that people did this to each other, that they threw rubbing alcohol on their girlfriends and lit them on fire. I didn't know that existed until I started this job. How black it is. And you know what Nehemiah starts to do? He starts going around to all the churches, and, and he starts with the priests, and he says, will you just join us and start building part of a wall? I can only build so much by myself, but will y'all stand up with us and start building walls around babies and women and children and men and drug addicts and people who God has, like in the book of Ezra, he's already started rebuilding his temple inside their heart, but there's no walls around them. There are literally no physical walls. There's no halfway houses or homeless shelters. There's no power of the Holy Spirit that is anywhere near them that can deliver them from these stupid enemies that come against them and try and kill and steal and destroy them. There's nothing to stop the enemy from walking over the wall and taking them back into captivity. Nothing. So what he says in the book of Nehemiah is the church has to start linking arms with all the people around them. And I go to y'all in, in north, northeastern Kentucky, and I head to Harlan, Kentucky, and I head to Broadhead, Kentucky, and I head to East Tennessee and western North Carolina and West Virginia and southwest Virginia, and I say, look, we're Appalachian people. We can link arms, and we can start building walls around our people and start pushing back on the opiates who, you know, the sand ballots and the, all the, the named people who come up to attack them. It's the same as in the book of Nehemiah. The enemy comes. He don't like it. He don't like it when you come and say, you know what, we're going to rebuild a wall. And then all of a sudden we have to go from people who are just hanging out in the courts of the king to people who not only carry a sword on one side, we're carrying a hammer on the other side. And we're building with one hand and she's watching my back to make sure that the enemy's not coming. And you're praying for me and you're watching out for me and you're providing some timber for me and you're showing up so that in 52 days we can get this done. And then it looks like it's not me doing anything, and it's not her doing anything, and it's not him doing anything, and it's not them doing anything. It's all of us coming together, and then people go, surely the Lord did that. It's not, it's not about, there's no superstars, there's no fancy people. There's just a whole bunch of stay-at-home moms and cupbearers and, and pipe fitters and, and 
whatever you are, a teacher or, or a nurse, there's just a whole bunch of people that say, you know what, I'm tired of the enemy coming in and taking my family. I'm tired of me getting them into church one minute and the next minute they're back out on the street. I'm tired of it. And it's time to put up some sort of a system to where we can work together and resource each other instead of being out on our own and just going, Lord, Lord, look how bad it's getting. How many people do that? I've done it my whole life. Lord, it's getting so bad you can't go nowhere no more without somebody blowing you up. How many people have said that? You can't go nowhere. I'm just going to sit at home, mind my own business. Let me tell you something. You can sit at home and mind your business, but that don't mean the enemy will not come after you, and it don't mean he's not going to come after your children. Your best bet is to start getting back-to-back -back with another warrior and start rebuilding some walls. That's all you can do. You can sit and pretend like this is not no big deal and it's just going to take care of itself. Let me tell you, the government isn't going to show up and rescue your baby. The only one who cares about your baby is the Holy Spirit. He is the only one who has left 99 to go after one and bring them back into the sheepfold into protection. That's the only one who cares about your baby. And there is no government program. It is not by might. And it's not by power. It's by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing else that can save. There is nothing else that can deliver. There is nothing else that can set your children free. Nothing. It has to be that. But you know what? God put all the marble that we will ever need to build this in the mountains, but he did not build the cathedrals. That's our job. So it's time. I'm just coming and saying, look, I'm getting up off of my duff. I would much rather be sitting on my porch in East Tennessee and cutting my grass this weekend than to be driving on the street seven states this week. And I'm not saying that to be like, woohoo, look at me. I'm saying, you know what? The time is short. Second Peter 3, 9 says that you don't know the day or the hour. He is only holding it back because it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to know Jesus Christ. So he's holding it back because of his long suffering. The judgment needs to come, but he's saying, please, I don't want them to go to hell. Do you want them to go to hell? Is it just I'm going to sit on my porch and cut my own grass and I don't care? We are a resilient people. We are a proud people. At least we used to be. We used to care about our neighbors and we used to care about each other. But this goes deeper than just, just sentimentalism and the way things used to be. God is calling us to look at our land just like he looked over Jerusalem and he wept over it saying, I have longed to tuck you up under my wing, but you wouldn't have it. And we sit and we don't weep over our land enough to get past the sentimentalism of, well, the way things used to be and get angry like he did and start doing something about it and what it took for him was to get on a cross to provide provision for those people Amen. and what it calls us to do is to get past the sentimentalism and into action and get on our own crosses yes. Amen. and when we climb up on our own cross 
all of a sudden there's a prevenient grace that flows from us to the people that he's trying to reach. And it, it has to come. It doesn't come from just wanting it or wishing it or even just showing up and putting $5 in a, in a plate. It comes when you go, you know what? I, I can't cut my grass this weekend because i got to build a wall. I can't because i got to fight for the people in Kentucky. I can't because i got to fight for the people in West Virginia. And i got to get back to back with them. I got to get back to back with y'all. I got to get back to back with each one of you and say, you know what? Your daughter, your son, that's their story. Then let's get back to back and I'll pray and you fight. And I'll build and, and you watch out for me. I can't do this by myself, y'all. It takes an entire army. The Appalachian people sometimes are looked on as people who are, are ill-equipped and poor and ignorant and they don't care anymore and they're lazy and whatever we've been called everything under the sun but what they 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 they're missing an entire army an entire people who are very strong and very deeply in love with Jesus Christ there's gonna be an army that's gonna rise up out of Appalachia and we're asking you to just join us as we build and as we take back our communities from the evilest darkness that's trying to just destroy our land. I love you guys. I appreciate you. I don't know why. I don't know. But the Lord loves you. And he's heard the prayers of every grandma in this church or, or, or papa in this church or daddy in this church or sister in this church. He's heard your prayers for somebody to do something for their brother, sister, child, grandchild, or mother, or daddy. And he's going to send somebody. And he's asking if it'll be you. Will you answer the prayer? He's longing to answer the prayers of Appalachian people. But you're the answer. It ain't going to be somebody smart and slick from New York City that comes in and, and does that. Not that they're bad people, they're not. But that's not their call, it's your call. And it's my call. So, I'm just asking, I'm saying, if you'll, if you'll just get on a wall with me and we'll start building and we'll take whatever resources we can find, I think that God will do some miracles. I think that 52 days later we'll have a place up, maybe not literally 52 days, although God, Jesus... I'm okay with that. And we'll build something. We'll do it in Kentucky and West Virginia and South, you know, Southeast, wherever. We'll do it all over Appalachia. And then we'll provide a place and then we'll send them back to you. And you can then have a community of people who said, he provided me grace. And they'll sing Amazing Grace because that's our favorite, right? They'll sing it and they'll understand what it actually means. It won't just be words. Provenient grace. Let's get on a wall. 
okay, well, Lord Jesus, this is a deal. I love you, I love you, and I love these people, and I love their heart for missions, and I love that they care about their community, and I love that they not just care about their community, but they care about the community of the world, the brothers and sisters around the world, and they're doing what they can, and they're reaching out, but Lord, show us creative ways, like like you did with the pastors when they when they jumped on their parents cell plans so that they could save some more money to give to missions brilliant that's brilliant that comes from the mind of god god you know where the resources are you know how to dig you know how we can serve you know how we can help you know that we can do more than we've been doing Show us what crosses we need to get on. Show us what things in our life we need to sacrifice and let die so that there is a provenient grace that flows out of that sacrifice to the people that you want to come to you. So that no one, no one would be left behind. So that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, you said Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that your will is that none should perish. So I pray that none would perish on earth as it is in heaven. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you right now, if you have somebody in your life who is going through abuse or addiction or poverty, I'm asking you to slip up your hand. If you know that person, if you're like, look, I got somebody in my life that's like that. I know somebody who needs Jesus. I know somebody who's perishing. I want you to say their name. Even if it's in a whisper, I want you to say their name. Say it to where you can hear it. Jesus, I want you to hear those names and I want you to hear that our commitment is to go after them, to leave everything behind, to leave the 99 things we've got on our to-do list behind so that we can go after that one that's perishing. And we will commit to go after them in prayer. We will commit to fast for their souls. We commit to being broken hearted for them. We commit to providing for their needs. We commit to being soul winners, not pew sitters. I commit today, Jesus. I want you to... If this is your heart's prayer, I want you to say it with me. If it's not, don't, because this is a commitment. Jesus, I commit to be a soul winner. If that's your heart's prayer, let's say it. Jesus, I commit to be a soul winner. No matter what it costs. No matter where I have to go. No matter what I have to do. I commit to be a soul winner. Every soul 
that has been spoken today, Jesus. I pray that you would draw them into the kingdom of God by your goodness, by your kindness, by your provenient grace, that you would draw all men unto you, that you would draw all women unto you, that you would draw all children unto you, that you would draw all the elderly unto you, that none would perish, that all would have everlasting life, that they would be counted in the number of saints on that day when we stand before you, that they would hear, well done, and not depart from me, for I never knew you. We commit to stand back to back on the wall and to build and to fight and to give and to go and to be what you need us to be. And we will stand in the face of our enemies and, and we will declare victory in the name of Jesus and for your glory. If you're here and you are battling addictions, and I'm not talking it has to be opiates. You could be addicted to your work. You could be addicted to your own physical appearance. You could be addicted to television. You could be addicted to a relationship. If you are battling an addiction, if there is something that you are putting above your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you need to repent today. If you are battling your own pride, if you are addicted to your own bitterness and unforgiveness, you have to get victory over that before you can go and rebuild any walls. And God wants to break that off of your life today. But you have to confess your sins and then he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you have an addiction you're battling, and you'll know it because the Holy Spirit's gonna, he's gonna trouble you, you right now. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would trouble you. There is an addiction that you've got going on in your life a bitterness and unforgiveness. It can be drugs and alcohol, sure. But maybe you're addicted to your own kids and you put them above Jesus. You need to raise your hand and confess your sin. I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're the youth pastor. I'm a sinner. I need grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Faithful and just. Forgive sins. Forgive sins. And re-empower them. In the name of Jesus, confess your sin. You, if you have to say it out loud, it's okay. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners. If you're not speaking out some sin, you need to look deeper. And check to see if your heart is so hard that you're not even feeling it anymore. Break our hearts, Lord Jesus. Take out the hearts of stone and place inside of them a heart of flesh today, I pray. God, we're getting right with you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would grieve them for what grieves you, and that's the lost. Whether they are, have brown skin, whether they, they eat different foods, whether they wear orange and white stripes, 
no matter what they look like, sound like, talk like, or where they're located, I pray that you start breaking hearts right now. That you would break them and move them past even the sentimentalism into the action phase. To where they don't just say, Lord, Lord, but they get up and say, Lord, I will go, send me. In the name of Jesus. God, you're raising an army today, an Appalachian army, and I'm proud to call them brothers and sisters. They're honest, they're real, they're good people, but I pray that you make them Holy Ghost-inspired, Spirit-filled warriors in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.